As we close in on the end of July, many jurisdictions across Canada are progressing through the various phases of the reopen strategy, such as fall school reopening announcements or restaurants and bars being able to offer sit-down service with capacity limits. While the country continues on this path, we are faced with finding strategies to rebound from the economic impact of the global pandemic while ensuring safety for individuals across the country during the reopening. And what can individuals and businesses expect as we continue along this reopening? That's what we take a look at in today's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Before we begin this podcast, please note that anything discussed or said on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Welcome everyone to another Dentons Insight podcast. My name is Chris Young. And today I wanted to give a general update on everything that's been happening uh, from an economic and tax standpoint in Canada, including the Canadian emergency wage subsidy, some of the federal and provincial fiscal updates we've received, and also what businesses and individuals can expect as we continue through the current global pandemic. Joining me today is Keith Hennel, partner from the Edmonton office and lead in the tax group, and as well, senior associate Gergay Hegedush, also from the Edmonton office. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. So Keith, let's get started with you about some of the fiscal updates from both the province of Alberta and Canada. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, we'll start with Alberta, the provincial update. So um, Premier Kenny on the 29th of June came out and made some statements um, on the state of the uh, province. And, and two big things that he, he indicated is the $10 billion in uh, spending that the province will do on, on capital projects, which is the largest spend in Alberta's history. And the other is an accelerated reduction in the small business rate number from 10% to, to 8% as of July 1, which was a year and a half ahead of what they had already scheduled um, to reduce the rate. And then some incentives and credits for, for tech and startups and whatnot. So yeah, from the federal side of things, it was interesting. Uh, Bill Morneau came out on July 8th and gave the much anticipated federal federal update from the fiscal side of things. The fiscal update, since they're not doing a budget, it appears in the near term. And the fiscal update he gave showed just how much spending the federal government is doing on COVID matters. And so they projected this year that the federal deficit would be around $3.4 billion. It turns out, as of July 8th, they projected the deficit to rise to $343 billion, which is approximately $300 billion increase. And not surprisingly, a big chunk of that additional deficit came from direct spending, uh, approximately $212 billion uh, related to COVID. And the economic slowdown was estimated to have added another $83 billion to the deficit. Of note, the federal government revenues are expected to climb from $268 billion um, from projected $341 billion. And the largest component of that decrease is from a reduction in personal income taxes, which is not surprising. And so of that spending for COVID measures, they had initially announced around $40 billion related to the 75% wage subsidy. And in the fiscal update, that projected spending on the wage subsidy um, increased to $83 billion. So basically doubled the amount that they were spending on this wage subsidy. 
So what's interesting, Keith, is I, I read an article today about some of the retail groups in Canada that seem to have made up for all their losses already in the last couple months from the initial losses, retail losses, when COVID started. So it'd be interesting to see how that impacts the government coffers once tax revenue from those recoveries come back in. Uh, I'm assuming we still need a couple years to recover from the amount we've spent uh, compared to the amount of revenue coming in. But it'd be interesting to follow this and see how that affects it in the next announcement they make. So on that note, did uh, Finance Minister Morneau mention when the next uh, call fiscal update will be happening? He did not. Okay. It depends. Um, and in this year, it's, it's a bit unpredictable. Um, I would expect that something before the fall would be another update or in the fall. Um, but again, it depends on, on how this whole situation unravels. But they, there's a lot of pressure uh, on the federal government to be transparent and provide more updates and a budget. Um, so remains to be seen when, when the next update or when a budget for 2020 will arrive. Uh, Gergay, before we dive into some of the changes or amendments made to the Canadian emergency wage subsidy, can you just give a recap of some of the high level items that were put in place uh, since the pandemic started here in Canada? So, yeah, thanks, Chris. So the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy was one of the main measures that was implemented by the government that was intended to keep employees connected to their employers. And they did this by uh, providing a subsidy of up to $847 per employee per week uh, for three, three months starting March 15th and ending on June 6th, 2020. And I think most people suspected that the subsidy would be extended due to the ongoing situation with COVID, but nobody knew when it would be extended and for how long and what the measures would be. But we just received Bill C-20, which was which received its first reading in the House of Commons yesterday. So we've received some more specifics about uh, what the government intends to do with the subsidy. So in, in the amendments then, what were some of the changes uh, that were made to the sub wage subsidy? So the main change was that firstly, it's been extended uh, to November 21st, 2020 under the bill, um, but it can be extended up to December 31st, 2020 by regulation. That, that's probably the biggest change, but also obviously since the, the program has been extended, applications can now be submitted by February 2021 instead of what was previously a deadline of October 2020. Um, some of the changes in terms of calculations are there's basically two kinds of subsidy. There's a new base subsidy, uh, and that's based on the reduction of, of revenues that have been reduced through COVID. And so basically any employer that's had a revenue reduction qualifies for the base subsidy, and the amount of the subsidy decreases the less an employer is impacted by COVID. Employers and their accounts will have a lot of work to do determining exactly what their revenue reductions are. And there's also been changes to the calculation in terms of what the reference periods are. So there's a lot to pick through in these new rules. And so the maximum amount of the subsidy will be paid to employers who have had a revenue decline of 50% or more. And the amount of the subsidy will decrease based on lesser amounts of revenue reductions. So starting in period five, which is July 5th, 2020 to August 1st, 
2020, the maximum amount of the base subsidy is $677 per employee per week. And then it, it subsequently decreases in each subsequent period. Now there's also going to be a top-up subsidy of up to 25%. And that will be received by employers who have a decrease in revenues of at least 50%. There, there's two, two new subsidies. There's the base subsidy and the top-up subsidy, which will, and the top-up subsidy will only be received by those who are most severely impacted by COVID. And it's important to note that the reference period for the top-up subsidy, subsidy is different from the base subsidy. So for the top-up subsidy, they'll be looking at the three preceding months and the same period of the prior year, which is different from uh, the, the calculation of the base subsidy. Gergay, my understanding is that in the, the new period starting July 5th um, going forward that you can be flexible by that. I mean, you can change the method, accounting method that you've used to calculate your revenue decline. If you used one method in the prior you know, periods, you can switch and elect to use a different method in the, in the period starting July 5th onward. Yeah, I think there's some increased flexibility in terms of how you calculate your revenues. And also one of the proposed changes is that they want to allow those who typically account on a cash basis to allow them to determine their revenues based on an accrual basis as well. So a lot of of, uh, nitpicky changes that, that people should be aware of when they're submitting future claims or considering submitting future claims. And I see they also propose to fix some technical challenges with the program by addressing amalgamations and and maybe uh, asset sales or purchases for a better term that uh, if you acquire a business or amalgamate that you'll be able to to kind of have some some rules there to to help you and give you some certainty on, on how you track your revenues in those cases. Yeah, exactly. So the government's come up with some proposed changes that would allow amalgamated corporations to qualify on the subsidy that may not have previously been able to qualify under the under the old rules and also in the asset sales where the employer purchases all or substantially all the assets used in an ongoing business they can use the uh, previous businesses uh, revenue in determining their revenues i like to always put out a word of caution to the listeners that with with these changes you'd be mindful of there's typically, and there is in this the proposed legislation here, anti-avoidance rules, so that if the purpose of you amalgamating or or acquiring uh, a business, one of the main reasons is to gain access to a subsidy or increased access, uh, be, be mindful there's some rules there that would uh, prohibit you from doing so or, or maybe some penalties. So so be wary when you're, when you're doing some structuring and get, get advice beforehand to make sure that you're on side. That, that's right, Keith. And there's also some uh, penalties for people who, manipulate their revenues in order to increase the amount of the subsidy they receive. So people should be careful to to report their revenues honestly and accurately when they file their application. Has there been, um, I know initially when these measures were put in place, uh, there was a suspension on the enforcement and the collections. Has that now been lifted, Gergay? Um, my understanding is that the CRA is slowly resuming their operations. I don't think there's any outstanding stay on collections, but they're probably going to start to to ramp up their operations again. In terms of specifically for the subsidy, my understanding was what, that if someone had an outstanding debt uh, with the CRA, they wouldn't withhold the payment of the subsidy. And my understanding is that that's still the case. However, that could could be subject to change in the future. 
And one, one thing Greg, you can maybe comment on too is we noticed in the, in the proposed legislation that they're allowing you to, for each period, apply to the government for a notice of determination on your, your wage subsidy. So if an employer is, is accessing it and they want some certainty or determination by the government that what they're accessing and what they believe um, they're eligible for is true, um, they can apply and get a notice of determination, which is like a notice of assessment. They can either agree with and, and have some certainty, or if they disagree with it, they can they can file um, an objection with with the, with the government and take it to the court if they want to. Instead of having to wait for the for their tax year to be done and then report and then maybe not know what's going to happen. That's right. The proposed legislation allows uh, the minister to make an, a determination at any time, basically that someone's entitled to the subsidy or not, and that can be appealed to the to the. Tax Court of Canada eventually. Um, Keith, for our last note here, uh, do you want to just talk briefly about the prescribed rate loan? Sure, absolutely. Um, as projected and predicted, prescribed rate went to 1% on July 1st, so for the quarter starting July 1. Um, so that continues a low rate environment, but it, for the listeners, that continues the income splitting so tax planning opportunity with prescribed rate loan planning with family members where uh, you can loan money to your family member, to a family member um, at the prescribed rate and use that ability, then that low rate to to income split and reduce the overall family's tax bill at the end of the day by loaning the funds and, and then having that family member invest the funds. And so the differential in, in the investment return and the 1% that that family member pays to the lender can be used to, to uh, reduce the overall tax rate. So be mindful that rate has been reduced to 1% and maybe talk to someone about any opportunities that are available to you with that. Perfect. Thanks, Keith. Well, sounds like as we continue through, there will be continued amendments as the situation changes and continues to unfold here in Canada. Thank you guys both for joining today and providing this update. I'm sure there will be more updates as we go along. Thank you, Chris. That's right, Chris. We'll be updating our backgrounder in the comments. Yeah, and we'll put a link to the backgrounder uh, on this uh, podcast page, and that way you can access any of those changes as well.